Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. We're going to jump in the words, so turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, we're going to read uh, verse 3 through 9. Uh, we've been in a series, Climb Higher. This is Climb Higher Part 4. And uh, we really believe the word of the Lord for 2017 is on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. And we really believe that climbing higher means figuratively getting away with God. It means spending time with Him. Time and space to connect with Him. Growing in relationship with Him. And I really believe that the things that look massive and daunting in the valley look very unimpressive from the mountain. Problems that are making us cave in on ourselves in the valley won't even stop us on the mountain. So what does that mean? It means that we can learn how in any situation to get away with God, climb higher, get above the situation, and be all right. If we can see things from his perspective, we will not freak out about our perspective. Climbing higher is the ladder. It is the elevator to get us to begin to see through God's perspective. And we learned in the first part of this, on the mountain of the Lord it will be be provided. And I really believe this. Whatever God's taking you and leading you to do in 2017, you can find the tools and you can find the equipping on the mountain. What does that mean? By getting away with God, he will equip you. The Bible says he's given you everything that you need for life and for godliness. Not some things, not part way. Everything you need has been given to you by God for life and for godliness. So we pick it up in part four, Exodus chapter 19, verse three. It says, then Moses went up to God. Now this becomes a, a common thread and a common theme is that Moses was always climbing a mountain to meet with God. So Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back, and when he went back, it means he went down. He went down into the valley and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything that the Lord has said. They committed to obedience. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Now let me give you some context on, on this passage of scripture. This is Exodus chapter 19. This is the prequel, if you will, to Exodus 20 and the giving of the Ten Commandments. Do you know where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments? on the mountain. He didn't get them in the valley. He didn't get them where he was comfortable. He got them at an elevated place on the mountain of God. When he went to the mountain of God, God spoke. He gave him the Ten Commandments. So we see this progression in the life of Moses that he would go to the mountain. He would receive from God. He would go to the valley and he would minister to the people. He would go to the mountain. He would receive from God. He would go to the valley and minister to the people. He would go to the mountain and receive from God. He would go to the valley and minister to the people. This precedent or pattern 
begin to mark Moses' life. And this is the same pattern that should mark our life because this is a type and shadow of our own relationship with God that when we will get away with him, he will equip us. And when he equips us, he doesn't equip us to stay there. He equips us to go back to the valley and to minister to the people around us. I've had some people ask questions about climbing higher, and they're asking, where is my mountain? Where is the place that I go? You, you can be sitting in your chair right now, and you can go to the mountain, and you can come back to the valley. It is, for our series' sake, a perspective. It is a posture. It is a position that we say, I'm going to get away with God. I'm going to adjust my perspective. Okay, now, God, I'm going to minister from this place. Many people minister from a place of doubt. Or they live from a place of fear. But when you learn how to climb higher, you begin to live from a place of faith. And you begin to see through God's eyes. True vision is not seen clearly. True vision is seeing what God sees. And to see what God sees, you have to see it from where he sees it from. And he sees it from the mountain. Because we don't find God ever coming to the valley except to judge. The only time he comes to the valley is in punishment. He is always on the mountain. So this passage really piqued my curiosity because I've read it multiple times when I was, I was reading it. I recognized that Moses was called to the top of the mountain, but nobody else was. Everybody else got cleaned up, they got ready, they got dressed up, and they had to stay at the foot of the mountain. The Bible says that they actually had to put up a fence to make sure that the people didn't come too close. Because if they came too close, then the judgment of God would lash out at them and possibly kill them. That God was too holy for unholy objects to come into his presence. So we have this problem, that, and we have really a sign of favoritism. I mean, if you look at it, why does Moses get the opportunity to go to the top of the mountain and talk with God, and everybody else has to stay at a distance. They got cleaned up. They look right. I mean, they played the part. And, and this just begins to tell us so much about our own Christian faith because a lot of our Christian faith right now is about us looking right, getting put together, doing the right thing. And, and, and then sometimes we wonder why we don't have the access or why we don't have the power that we want. We dress right. We look right, we're committed to obedience, we're committed to following God, but it's like there's this missing thing. And I'm going to give you some keys to the, to the missing combination of us climbing and getting to a place of perspective where God can really speak to us. It is my belief that God wants you to live at a different place in 2017 than you lived in in 2016. My Bible says that God takes us from glory to glory and from strength to strength. So no matter what year I had in 2016, 2017 should be at a different level. And that is not dependent on God, that is dependent on me. So many times we blame God for a lack of progress when the lack of progress is not God's fault, it is our fault. The Bible says he is available to us. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. So really, it is in our hands. God made his move when he sent Jesus. Now it's our turn. Some people say, I'm just waiting for God to do something. God did something. He did the greatest thing that has ever been done in the history of the world. Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And when he gave that gift, he made the move. And now the move and, and, and the pressure is really on us. 
And so we can sit back and point fingers at God while we're not where we want to be. But God's saying, I have given you wisdom. I have given you intellect. I have given you opportunity. Now you got to work what you have. Sometimes we're so spiritually minded that we're no practical good. The, the, the key to moving in spirituality is making your spiritual life practical and your practical life spiritual. For so long, the church was oh so spiritual that they were so spiritual they couldn't relate with practical people. And so the marketplace and the lost could not connect with the church because the church was too spiritual. Then we've went through another transition where now the church has become so practical that we have no power. And we can give you a good program, but we're nothing they're nothing more than a great club because there is no power. So now we have a conflict of spiritual and practical, and everyone chooses what each one or feels the pressure to choose one. So you're going to be spiritual, and you're going to be practical, and then these are our two groups of people. And I wonder if maybe God is trying to teach us through the life of Moses that it's not spiritual or practical. It's spiritual and practical. That my practical life has to become spiritual, and my spiritual life has to then become practical. It, it, it is this conflict, this tension that I want to talk about because I believe, I believe this about your life, that God wants you to live on another level. God wants to elevate your perspective. God wants to elevate your dreams. You may have thought you've had big dreams in the past. God wants you to elevate what you're looking at and what you're aiming towards. God wants to do something substantial in 2017, but it's not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. The Bible says if you draw near to me, you draw, you draw, you, your move, if you draw near to me, then I will draw near to you. He is waiting on the move of his people. He was waiting on Moses to get to the mountain before he spoke. We could have complained about why God didn't speak in the valley, but God said if you climb to the mountain, I will be speaking. So the, the, the responsibility then falls on us. So I want to give you, and, and I really believe we want to live on a higher level in 2017. We've got to really look at Moses' life and what he did. And he had some principles that I believe are going to help us today. And, and I really believe are going to change some perspective for us to be able to see things differently. And this is, this is something that was just key in Moses' life. We've talked about it for four weeks now. Climbing was his practice. It was his routine. It was his pattern that he would get away with God. The Bible, and if you begin to look at this, you're going to find this everywhere. You should just find all, you should just read the book of Exodus, and every time Moses goes up, you should just circle it. And you will find it everywhere. Because when Moses went up, God came down. If Moses was faithful to go up, God was faithful to come down. And I would say that the same thing is true for you, that if you would make time to get away with God, God would come and meet you. Some people say, oh, man, God's just not speaking to me. No, God's speaking. Sometimes we're just not listening. My dad used to tell me that the voice of God is like an old FM radio dial. That if you tune it in, it's always speaking. And you can complain that you can't hear the radio, but it's not because the radio isn't playing. It's because you're not tuned in. And people spend years of their life saying that God has just been silent. And I don't think that God is silent. I think God is silent until we obey the last thing that he told us. So sometimes he'll tell us something to do, but we don't like it, so we wait for something else. But he's not speaking anything else until we do the thing he spoke to us at first. Y'all all right today? I believe that God wants you to live your life on another level. 
We, we don't have to get bogged down with the things that the world gets bogged down with because we have the ability and we have the capacity to climb to a different level and see things differently. Climbing was his practice. If Moses was faithful to go up, God was faithful to come down. And let me tell you this. If 2017, in 2017, if you make seeking your routine, he will make finding your reward. The Bible says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is such good news, and I've heard people argue me on this, and they say, well, I don't follow God for a reward. And my answer, my, my, my response to that would be, I don't either. But it doesn't mean that there's not a reward coming. He says that this is a promise, that if you seek me, you will find me if you seek for me with all your heart. So there is a reward. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I don't seek him for the reward, but I'm going to take the reward. He, I mean, it's like, it, it, this, this is like God saying, I want to bless you for what you're doing. And we're like, oh, God, we're just going to seek you. And we're not looking for a reward. And he's saying, I want to give you a reward. Because when you look for me, that's what I want. And I can give you what you want. So when you look for me, I'm going to be found by you. And I'm going to reward your seeking. Climbing was his pattern. I want to ask you this question. What paths in your life are well-worn? Because for Moses, the path to the mountain was well-worn. That was his pattern. That was his routine. He would get up, and he would go to the mountain, and God would speak to him. But I just want to ask you, what paths in your life are well-worn? I know that you can just do autopilot and show up at Starbucks and still be half asleep and give your order perfectly. I mean, it's just like, that, that's just how we can do it. Because it's our pattern. But in 2017, to get the results you want, you can't just dream about the results. You have to incorporate a pattern and consistency in that pattern that then will give you the results you want. People all the time talk about getting in shape. Did you know that you can never get in shape in one month of your life? It is the pattern over time that produces the results. Everybody wants the results, but nobody wants the pattern over time. We'll do the pattern for a month. It's been great to see you all at the gym, by the way. The month of January is amazing. I get to see all kinds of old friends I haven't seen forever. And I'm going to miss you for the next 11 months. It's going to be sad. Um, it's been good while it lasted, though. To, to, to really get in shape, you're going to have to make it to the gym more than a month. And I'm going to tell you this. To really live on another level, you're going to have to make the path to the mountain well-worn enough in your life that it lasts more than a weekend more that it lasts more than a Sunday, that it lasts more than a month. It needs to become your practice. It needs to become your routine. It needs to become your pattern that you'll get away with God. This is what Moses did. He made it his practice. The second thing that we see is a key that climbing was his pattern and presence. The presence of God was his sign. Now, I want to unpack this for you, and I'll give you this scripture in, in verse 9 of what we read. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud. I'm going to bring a cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. This is what he's saying. I'm going to give you a sign, but the sign's not for you. It's so the people will know. Moses was already hearing God. He did not need a cloud. He did not need a sign. He says, I want to give you a sign so that the people will know that it is me that is speaking to you. You know what I've seen over the years is a lot of churches back away from the presence of God. Because sometimes it's unpredictable. Sometimes it can be frightening. Not everybody loves talking about it. 
it's easier to talk, just have a nice little TED talk or a little self-help group than to actually talk about the power and presence of God. It's way easier. And I've heard, I've had talked to great pastors, respected pastors that, that say, man, you need to kind of like tighten the reins on this. Like kind of just, I'm just going to tell you, God felt it was important to give a sign Give his power so that the people would recognize that God was using Moses. Because I'm going to tell you something. Moses wasn't something special. He was just chosen by God. And I'm going to tell you something about you and me. We're not something special. We're just chosen by God. We didn't earn this. We didn't gain this by our own strength or by our own credit. God is just choosing to use us. And that's why we need the power of God. So that people can look at us and say, they're doing that? Mateo and Annalise and Shelby are going there. I knew them eight years ago. Yeah, but they're not the same people they were eight years ago. And it wasn't a 12-step club, and it wasn't a therapy group. It was the power of God, and that God encounter changed their life. The other things aren't bad. The other things aren't negative. But I'm telling you, God can do in a moment what it takes a 12-step club 12 months to do. God doesn't need 12 steps. He only has one, and it's come to him. I'm telling you, the Bible still works. The principles of God's word still work, and the people of God still need the power of God in their lives and in the church. My favorite scripture and, and, and one of my like mottos of my life is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, My message and my preaching, listen to this, were not with the very things that we think are popular to have in this day and age. Wise and persuasive words. It doesn't even sound negative. That sounds like a gift, an attribute, a credit. If someone said, wow, Pastor Dustin, you're very wise and persuasive, I would say thank you. But Paul said, I don't want to have just wisdom. He was one of the smartest people of his day. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament by which we read, live our lives by, and really gain our moral code of conduct. He wrote this, and he says, not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that men might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. See, we can't build a great church and then people point to us and say, they're a smart people. We can't build a great church or a great ministry and say, oh wow, man, they're just really sharp. That's why they did it. God's got to do something so substantial that they said, they use those people to do that? It must be God. I know we want to be the qualified ones. We want to be the gifted ones. But I'm going to tell you what this world needs is not a a bunch of egocentric believers that feel like they have the answer to everything. We need believers that say, we realize that we don't have everything. But we have a God that is everything. And in my weakness, he is made strong. We've got to go back to the basics and realize this is about God. This is about his kingdom. This is not about denominations. This is not about right or left. This is not about politics. This is about the kingdom of God. And no matter who sits in the White House, God sits on the throne. And it's about time that we recognize it and realize it and live like it. Without the power of God in our gatherings, we limit ourselves to a mere self-help club. And I just want to make a declaration. This church is not a self-help club. This is just a gathering place of imperfect people, weak people, honest people, authentic people that need a Savior. 
And I'm going to tell you, there's just something freeing about knowing that I don't have to be everything, but I rely on someone who is everything. I was, I was preaching in Washington uh, a couple years ago, and uh, I, I got actually just heard uh, this week about a blog post that a girl wrote that was in one of the meetings that I preached at. And this was two years ago, and she just recently wrote a blog post, and someone found it and sent it to me and says, this was you, and uh, you really impacted her life. And, and, and so she sent it to me, and it's, it's lengthy, so I won't read the whole thing, but it, she says that, that I, I met this guy from, from Texas. I didn't know who he was. He came, and, and she begins to explain some of the things that she went through. She says, we had a guest pastor that night. He was from Texas. Anyways, I had not met him. He had no idea who I was or what I was going through. Uh, or what I was going through, something I pray no one has to endure. Depression really sucks. But in short, he had called us to the altar. He was praying and said the Holy Spirit had put something on his heart. A young woman who had turned from God and was hurting. With all of our heads bowed and eyes closed, he placed his hand on my shoulder. He began to explain that God knew the amount of pain I was in and that it was okay that I was mad at him. The pastor continued to pray and specifically explained the past events in my summer that had led me to where I was mentally at but still reminding me that I had a wonderful God that loves me deeply and had a world of joy planned for me. That night, I was reminded I was loved by a great family and am loved by an even greater God. From that point on, I have learned to love the Lord and have a real relationship with Him again. His love is really cool because it is real. Our Lord desires for us to have a relationship with Him. He wants us to give Him everything in the sense that He wants to be a part of it all, and I want to give all glory to Him. Watch this. She didn't say anything about my message, and I felt like it was pretty good. I mean, nothing. I mean, not even a word about it. Some guy. Didn't even remember my name. But at the end of this, she talks about life chains, and she says, so I give all the glory to God. Do you know, do you know what the power of God does? That's awesome. You know what the power of God does in our gatherings? It takes our attention off of us and onto him. You know why we need the supernatural and signs and wonders? Because otherwise, we'll have a lot of great superstar preachers and leaders, and everyone will say, oh, look at them, look at them. But when the power of God shows up, it so, it so outweighs. I was going to say it so trumps, but you just can't even say that word anymore. It's like some people cheer and some people start throwing things. It's like... You, you, it, it so outweighs, the power of God so outweighs natural strength. See, natural strength alone and natural wisdom alone looks impressive until it stands next to supernatural. That's why some people like to just stay in natural because they look good in natural. But when the supernatural shows up, it's some guy from Texas. But I give all the glory to God. That's the hope of our church. That's God's desire for your life is that you would be such a sign and you would be such a wonder that they would not remember your name, but they would say there surely is a God because they were this and now they're that. They were lost and now they're found. They were blind, but now they see. They were deaf and now they hear. This is the grace of God. This is the gospel. This is the testimony to people all around us. When the power of God shows up, natural humanity looks very weak. And the last thing as we close is, and I love this, friendship was his access. We're talking about all this and power of God and all this, and, and then it just all narrows down to this little point. Friendship. Because we learned in the beginning that not everybody could come to the mountain. 
that there was actually a fence set up. And that those people couldn't come up where everyone else, where Moses could. He was the only one that could get up there and talk with God. And I began to search the scriptures on this point saying, why is Moses the only one? In Exodus chapter 33 verse 11 it says this, And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And it clicked. The reason that Moses had the favor he had was because he was a friend of God. God didn't call the obedient, the qualified, or the clean. He called his friend. Which really flies in the face of all of us just trying to be good. Because if I'm just good, then God will love me. And I'm just right. If I just look right, if I get cleaned up for church, no one will know. And I'll be okay. And, and, he, and he's not calling you. He's calling his friends. So then it takes it further because in Psalm 103 verse 7, it says that God made known his, God made known his ways to Moses and his deeds or his acts to the people of Israel. So what does this mean? Well, ways, that, that Hebrew word, ways, actually has to do with his heart and acts have to do with his hand. So Moses understood his heart, but the people only saw what he did. This is relationship religion. This in the scripture is, is so unfolded. He said the people of Israel, they didn't have access because they only saw what he did. But Moses had access because he was his friend and he saw his heart. And then there's David. Why did David have the favor that he had? Why did David, a murderer, some say a rapist, an adulteress, they, they, why did David get touted with a man after God's own heart? Because he was God's friend. He had all kinds of sin in his life. But he was a friend of God. So then it begs to question, it brings the question to us, how do we become a friend? Because in the Old Testament, it was just chosen. You, 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 Moses, Abraham, David, it was just chosen. But I'm going to tell you, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us this, and I love this. The Bible says when Jesus died, the veil in the temple, in the, in the temple, there was the outer courts, the inner courts, and the most holy place. And, and it was designated in sections. And to get into the most holy place, there was a massive, there was a massive a curtain or veil. Some scholars say that the curtain was like 18 inches wide. And it says when Jesus died that that veil tore from the top all the way to the bottom. They say if it would have torn from the bottom to the top, that people would have argued that maybe somebody came in and did it themselves. But because it tore from the top to the bottom, they have to sit back and say it was only an act of God. Why would God tear the veil? Because it was significant. Because only the high priest, only the friends chosen by God could go into the most holy place. But when Jesus died, the veil was torn. And that now means that in any one of us, can come into the presence of God, Hebrews, that we can come before the throne of God with boldness. The Bible says in the New Living Translation in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So you don't have to get cleaned up to be a friend of God. You don't become a friend of God by what you do or what you earn. He made you his friend because he saw you. 
In verse 8 it says, he saw you while you were powerless. He saw you while you were far from God and he chose you and said, I want to be friends with them. This is why Jesus came, so that everyone could be friends instead of just one or two or three or four. He said, so that all could come into his presence. That word friend, it's interesting in the Greek, that word friend, it actually means like inner circle, intimate friend. It actually has the picture a lot, of, a lot of the Hebrew and the Greek have pictures that go along with words. The picture is the best man at a wedding. That's the type of friend that he calls us. Not like some of our friends. Like we call everybody our friends. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm friends with him. Like we talk once a year. I'm friend. No, he said, this is what type of friends you are. Like the best man at my wedding. That type of friendship. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've been made known to you. Instead, I have called you friends. Today, as we close, I just want you to know, you have access to the supernatural power and presence of God. Not because you're clean, not because you're good, not because you're righteous, but because you're friends. And you didn't become a friend because you went to church all your life. Because you... Stayed away from all the bad things and bad people. You became a friend because he saw you and he loved you. And that great love is the greatest love that any person has ever exhibited or ever shown. And that love is towards us so that we can become a friend of God. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.